You're listening to The First Gen Coach. I'm your host, Carla Santamaria, a civic engagement professional turned mindset and career coach. As a first-gen immigrant, college grad, and corporate professional, I have experienced firsthand the many struggles and challenges that first-gen professional Latinas and women of color often face when navigating unfamiliar and unfriendly corporate environments. In this podcast, I will share insights for career success and will feature inspiring and successful first-gen women to share their journey and their stories. If you're ready to tap into a growing community of first-gen professionals, you've come to the right place. Hello, first-gen friends. Welcome back to the show. Today's episode is all about why women of color must quit their low-paying nonprofit jobs. Now, this episode is actually a re-release. I have never done this before, but it is absolutely one of my favorite episodes that I have ever recorded. And it's one of y'all's favorite episode because it's the top three uh, most downloaded episode. So I wanted to re-release it uh, in the observance, I should say, of Latina Equal Pay Day 2023, which took place in on August 5th. So if you're not familiar, Latina Equal Pay Day marks the day into the new year during um, during which women, especially Latinas, have to work in order to make the same amount of money that a non-Hispanic white male made the previous year. So the farther into the year that it is, that means the bigger the wage gap is. So you might have heard that like women's equal pay day was in March, but that actually includes all women. And obviously we know that the wage gap is racialized and intersectional. So not every woman is able to make up quote unquote those wages. And to be clear, this is not any individual's fault. Uh, I mean, any individual Latina, excuse me, or any individual worker's fault. The Latina wage gap or the intersectional wage gap exists as a result of exploitative labor practices that underpay and undervalue women. And in this episode, I walk you through the arc of why girls are socialized away from high paying jobs, for example, in STEM and into these low paying jobs in the nonprofit sector and in social services. I also talk about student loans and how student loans are racialized and gendered and how they affect predominantly black and brown women who are carrying the burden of student loan debt. I mean, payments resumed this month. So it is rough. I mean, I actually just last night, I was finally creating an account with Nelnet because I was like, my loans used to be on like Great Lex borrower, but then they like, I don't know, switch my borrower. They sent me an email back in May that I should make my account. Uh, you know me, if it's not due tomorrow, I'm not going to do it until tomorrow. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, so I was just thinking about that, that it's almost like ironic that I have to that I was creating my account to pay back the student loans that this higher education system did not prepare me to make more money. And I talk about that in this episode too. So I am so 
so pumped for those of you who are new to the show to be able to listen to it and those who have been here since day one to be able to listen to it again because everything still stands. Things have not gotten any better. Uh, for 2023, Latinas, all earners made 52 cents on the dollar. So this includes, for example, part-time workers or seasonal workers. And that is abysmal. We deserve 100% of our wages. All right. So it is absolutely imperative that you do everything in your power to increase your salary because I can guarantee you that you're underpaid. Like, I don't have to know you personally to know that Latinas are making 52 cents on the dollar, to know that, you know, like Black Women's Equal Pay Day was in September, to know that there is, even for Asian American Women's Equal Pay Day, there is a huge um, discrepancy between ethnicities. You know, and same thing with Latinas, there's a huge discrepancy between ethnicities where Puerto Rican and Cuban women earn you know, like have the high, the lowest wage gap. And then, you know, like Central American women and Honduran women have some of the, the widest wage gap. Like this is so intersectional and so complex. And so I cannot let Latina equal payday go by without saying something about it. And it's not just about me. It's about all of us. Collectively, we must work together to increase our income because right now our governments are bought and paid for by lobbyists that are not doing what they're supposed to be doing in terms of looking out for labor protections. I mean, I talk a lot about like, you know, how to know what you should be making and, you know, like what salary to ask for. And the reason that I have to talk about this is that our government isn't doing its part. And even though there are laws that require, for example, in the state of California, Washington, Colorado, and New York, for companies to list the full salary range for a role, you know, that's not closing the gap at all because I've seen roles. Um, I actually saw on LinkedIn one time a role that said expected compensation from $15,000, 15, that is one five. $15,000 to $300,000. I mean, what is that about? That's obviously so ridiculous. And so all of these are obstacles that have been perpetuating this intersectional pay gap and are very much working as intended. So I wanted to, and, and, and you know, so this is why I want to re-release re this episode because um, it's really powerful. I know that you, it has resonated with so many of you and it's going to resonate with so many of you for the first time or again. And by the way, while I do focus on women of color quitting their low-paying nonprofit jobs, I want to remind you that you are 100% able to job hop. You're 100% able to protect your boundaries and protect your peace and get your money and go. Because these corporations are seeing us humans as numbers. All right. And that's, I mean, that's what we are. So if you can get your money and go, then you are on the right track. Do not kill yourself for a job that would replace you without second thought. And now before we get into the episode, I want to remind you of two things. First and foremost is if you have ever taken anything out of this show, then it would mean so, so much to me if you could leave a review, leave a rating, share it with your friends, share it on your story and tag me at Carla the First Gen Coach um, to just, you know, let me know what you thought about it. I would love to hear your thoughts and whether or not you have left your 
low paying nonprofit job or your low paying education job or even any job in the private sector where you have been um, overworked, undervalued, underpaid. Uh, so that's the first thing. The second thing is that if you are ready to change your relationship to work, then I want to invite you to book a call and see if working together is the right move for you. So I am currently accepting clients. I work with clients one-on-one for six months, and we really get down on what your goals are and what your values are so that you can increase your income without making your entire life about work. Because yes, this is a career coaching podcast, but 100%, I do not believe, like I do not believe in a dream job because I do not dream of labor. All right. I'm trying to help all of us get our money and go. So without further ado, here's today's episode, the the live audio, but it's okay. As I said before, today we're going to be talking about why women of color must leave the nonprofit sector in favor of higher paying jobs in the private sector. All right. So who here has been in the nonprofit sector before? Um, I would love to know. Um, just, you know, wave, say hi, because I personally have had time. I mean, I did AmeriCorps for two years. I definitely, I was making a thousand dollars a month. Do you know what it's like to live in Miami and to be making a thousand dollars a month with a college degree? I definitely felt like the AmeriCorps program really perpetuated the poverty that it served, that it prepared it to, to end. Um, but I'm going to give a brief, brief overview, kind of like an arc, follow a woman's career, like from when she's a young girl and how she is socialized into these low paying jobs and why that is such a problem. So There is a study that I recently read that girls begin to show interest, like their peak of interest in Excel is in, um, in Excel, in STEM is in around 11 years old. And then that interest tends to fade by 15 years old. But why does that interest fade? It's because of lack of role models is because they see that there is, you know, workplace inequalities in this, you know, like STEM field. Um, It's because of lack of opportunities. It's because of this persistent belief that, quote, girls are bad at math. Uh, No, girls are not bad at math. All right. The power of suggestion is really it is it is powerful. And if we continue to, to tell our young girls that they are bad at math, then of course, we are making them shy to, you know, to like try new things. We are squishing and like burning out that inquisitive spirit. So you see, um, Esther just left the education field to go work at a fintech company. Yes, Esther, that is amazing. Um, and Claudia has been in the nonprofits for 10 years and you're over it. I hear you. So please stick around. I definitely want to, you know, just hear more a little bit about your story. Um, so is that resonating with any of you yet? Like, you know, maybe you've seen the way that young girls are socialized, even from like maybe late elementary school and into middle school and high school, socialized away from these like high intensive math classes, socialized away from like all the, um, you know, like AP courses that are in STEM field. I've definitely seen that I spent enough time in education to know that that is true. So it starts again from a moment when, you know, when we're young. And we may not even realize it like, oh, maybe like, oh, let me take this other elective instead of, um, you know, like instead of like physics or let me take this like, quote unquote, easy class instead of, you know, taking like calculus AB or calculus BC. Um, But unfortunately, it doesn't even like end there. Like even the girls who do trickle on and who do survive 
from that sort of like wanting to move them away from STEM, they are then finding themselves in classes where they may be the only ones, you know, or they may be um, told by guidance counselors, some who may be well-meaning and some who are not well-meaning. And they're saying like, oh yeah, just, you should be, uh, you know, like you should be a teacher or you should be, you know, like a social worker, or maybe you should go into like nonprofit management. Um, And so it's these, like, it is, people and these societal forces. I mean, think about it. Think of any movie you've ever watched. Who has been the teacher? Who has been the social worker? Who has been the person who is self-sacrificing every single day for like their families and their communities? And it's this pervasive myth that I think affects women of color particularly. And it affects us because we've been socialized to think in this way that we can't put ourselves first and that we have to put everybody else except us at the forefront. But guess what? You can't give from an empty cup, all right? You're not going to be able to truly like serve or love the people you want to love when you are yourself so drained. Now, even now, let's let's think about like the education field right now. Um, All right, so let's see. Esther is letting us know that one of the reasons she didn't love being a teacher is the system is not meant for us to thrive. Absolutely. So I recently came across a phrase that was meant to describe social work because sometimes people say that social work is female dominated and it is not. Social work is female majority, but male dominated. So what does that mean? It means that there are actually more women than men in social worker roles but it is men who hold the position of power. And that is the same thing that happens in most nonprofits that I have seen. That is the same thing that happens even in grassroots organizations. That is the same thing that happens in education. Like think about, think about a school. Are the majority of teachers men or women? And then think about the principals. Think about the superintendents. Are the majority of principals and vice principals and superintendents men or women. So you see how just like social work is female majority male dominated, it is the same thing with nonprofit and education. And it is way past time that we moved past this. You know, like as women, like taking a stand for ourselves and taking a stand for our career and taking a stand for saying like, Hey, I'm actually going to go get a higher paying job. That is an act of revolution. That is like, it is such an act of radical self-love that it held so much power. I mean, think about it. Um, Like, what if we all decided to stop being so self-sacrificial? What if we all decided, hey, I'm going to actually love myself and prioritize me. And then once I prioritize myself, then I can help my family, help my partners, help those around me. All right. So like, think about that. You know, I'm I'm really glad that in the last few years, self-care has become very uh, mainstream to talk about like self-care. This is my self-care. This is like very important. And yes, absolutely, self-care is important and it goes beyond, you know, like a facial on the weekends or it goes beyond like journaling. Even those those things that bring you your joy are absolutely important. What about self-care in your career? All right, what about setting boundaries in your career? You've all heard me talk about quiet quitting. Um, and if you haven't yet, you can definitely check out my podcast and my feature on Univision. Kind of still low-key, very excited about that. 
Um, but again, self, you know, self-care in your career is setting boundaries. And it's extremely difficult to set boundaries in the workplace if you feel like the people that you serve are going to die without you. All right. Because if you know, there used to be, I used to hear this joke when I was in education for like the longest time. And it's like, oh, we're not doing this for the money, you know? And it's like, all right, that's true. Um, and I, that's fine. 100% I respect that. But why is it that we're not doing this for the money must also mean I'm going to be working 60 hours a week. I mean, think about it. I remember um, one of my, like one of the summers that I was teaching I was so exhausted because I stayed up so late lesson planning. And the next day I realized, huh, this is not how I show up best for my students. My students deserve a teacher who is well rested. And I'm really glad that I learned that lesson early in my career because it went through, you know, like it went with me regardless of where I was in in education or in nonprofit or even higher ed, like my students and the people who I serve and my clients and my constituents, they all deserve someone who is well-rested. So I'm going to go ahead and get my sleep. All right. I, (laughs) I get teased because I'm usually like in bed by 1030 at night, but I'm tired. (laughs) I just, I need my sleep. And guess what? Prioritizing yourself is how you can grow in your career. And it's not okay just because it's normalized, just because there's so many people that say like, oh, you know, like I can run on like five hours of sleep. Actually, you can't. You are probably deluding yourself thinking that you can run on five hours of sleep so that you can justify the torture that you're putting your body through so that you can tell yourself like, oh, I'm doing this for my kids who I love or I'm doing this for my clients. It's like, remember, The people who you are teaching, if you're an educator, or the people who you are serving, if you're in the nonprofit field, they are not helpless. That is one of the the single most important things that you can internalize. The people that you are serving are not helpless. I promise you that if you got a different job, they would fend for themselves. They would find another way. Like People have the opportunity to be resourceful, all right? Um, Let's get away from this like savior mentality. Um, none of us like, you know, the savior complex of like, oh, I'm going to go help like the poor little children in Africa, you know, and then you see all the, like the terrible pictures and like the terrible things that this quote unquote, like mission trips and humanitarian trips do. Well, guess what? It's that same sentiment of people are helpless that may show up even in your nonprofit job that may show up even in the education sector. So you have to remember as a nonprofit employee or as an educator that the people that you serve are not helpless. All right. So again, so I want to bring us through an arc, you know, like first as young, uh, as young students, girls are socialized away from STEM fields, lack of mentors, lack of opportunities, um, you know, like guidance counselors either well-meaning or not well-meaning guidance counselors can say, you know, like, why don't you go be a teacher? Why don't you be a social worker? Why don't you become like a nonprofit administrator? Um, So all of that kind of begins to socialize, you know, women and girls away from STEM fields and into this, you know, kind of like public sector, nonprofit education jobs. Now, Um, there's also, I remember even in those jobs, even though they're female majority, the, the positions of power are mostly held by men. I mean, look around you, look about, look around who has been the, the, the leadership positions, the executive directors of 
the fields that you're in. And actually, um, I mean, there is a breakdown, you know, there's like a broken rung in the ladder, you know, of like, this has happened in like in all industries, but for example, look at healthcare, the, like the majority of entry level openings, like it's like two thirds women, one third men, but as you go up, it flips. And then the, the leadership of a lot of like healthcare administration, um, systems tend to be men. And it's like, wait, wait, what happened there? If you had literally twice as many women as men, why is your entire C-suite only men now? Where did all the women go? All right. So that broken rung from getting from like middle management to upper management, that is there in a lot of industries. And that is particularly, I think, offensive when it is in the nonprofit field and education field, when we are giving so much of our time and working these 58 hour weeks for what? You know, to like not even be making a living wage to qualify for the services that your nonprofit provides. Like, think about it for a minute. Let's say that you work for an organization that does, you know, like free financial services if you're under a certain income. Are they paying their employees a living wage, a thriving wage? Or are they paying, paying their employees a wage that would technically qualify them for their services? Like that was when I had, when I realized that I was like, oh, oh no, 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 no. This is, there is something seriously broken in this system. If the nonprofits that provide services are paying their staff so little that the staff could qualify for their services. I mean, it is, it is just a deeply, deeply broken system. Um, and guess what? A lot of these jobs are now requiring like advanced degrees, you know, like I've seen postings. I think I saw a job posting one time that it was like PhD preferred $30,000 a year. I mean, oh my God, the audacity to say PhD preferred and then $30,000 a year, $30,000 a year, by the way, is $15 an hour. That is not enough to afford a two bedroom apartment anywhere in the United States. So just absolutely extremely broken system if these educational requirements are being so exorbitant and then the wage is just not keeping up with them. I remember, um, I don't know if I've ever told this story publicly before, but I'm going to share it now. So as you all know, I went, I got my master's degree from the University of Miami, um, which is like super expensive. Okay. Like I had a, a scholarship and like multiple scholarships. So I technically only paid for like maybe a quarter or a third of it, but my degree cost $72,000. Like it was so expensive. Um, and I remember, you know, like it was like my last semester of getting my master's and I was like, oh my God, got to get a job because if not, like, why am I doing this? And one of the loops that like, you know, like all the alumni groups or whatnot, somebody sent us a job and the job paid $35,000 a year. And I was like, you people are out of your minds. Like, like my degree costs twice as much as what this job is offering. How dare you send me that job as something to do after I get my master's? And like, I know that they didn't personally send that email to attack me, Carla Santa Maria, but I very much took that as a personal attack. And it was that day that I made a decision of like, my job out of grad school is going to pay me more than what this degree costs. 
And so, and eventually, you know, like I got a job that, you know, paid me more than what I paid for my degree, but it definitely did not pay me more um, than what my degree costs. So um, that is actually what brings me to my next point. Um, wasn't planning on sharing that story, but here we go, because it served to bring me to my next point, which is student loans. All right. I've talked a lot about student loans because student loans are all. Uh, they are racialized and they are gendered. Black and Latina women carry about two thirds of the burden of student loan debt, like the trillions of dollars of student loan debt that U.S. student loan borrowers hold. Two thirds of that is held by women, by women of color, by Latinas and black women. All right. The average white male college graduate owes $10,000. The average black Female graduate owes $50,000. That's five times as much. It is like the burden of student loans. It is just massive. And so think about all these factors as a whole. You have young girls being socialized away from STEM majors and therefore away from STEM careers being socialized into this nonprofit education, public service, low paying jobs. Then you have this attitude of like being self-sacrificial of like putting everybody first before yourself. Then you have, even in female majority roles, you have a minority of men dominating the field and holding all the higher paying positions and, you know, not just even higher paying, but even power holding and decision-making positions. And then you also have women who are even in the same role as men getting paid less, actually today is uh, September 21st. It is Black Women's Equal Pay Day. Latina Women Equal Pay Day won't even happen for over another month. All right. And so not only is the pay, the wage gap existing, but then it's like, then we're in the workplace holding the bulk of the student loan debt. And, and on top of that, we are expected to be happy in these roles that don't pay us a family sustaining wage. Does that make any sense to any of you? If it does, please let me know because I would love for it to make sense, but it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And that is why it is a moral imperative for women of color to leave the nonprofit job. They leave their nonprofit jobs in favor of a higher paying job in the private sector. Um, all right. So yeah. So thank you, Esther, for sharing, you know, 80K in student loan debts. Oh boy. And you would have to work six years as a teacher before making 80K. And in your next role in a fintech company, you can be making that by next year. See, that is, these are the kind of stories that are happening everywhere. All right. Like leaving a nonprofit field, like leaving a nonprofit job, leaving an education job, for the private sector where you can still have an impact by the way because it is time to let go of this myth that the only way that you can make a difference to your community is in this low-paying public sector job that is a myth and that is what is perpetuating generational poverty and that is what is perpetuating all of these female dominated male i mean i'm sorry female majority male dominated careers all right so i want you to know that it is okay for you to want a higher paying job it is okay for you to go into the private sector it doesn't make you a sellout it doesn't mean you're like 
quote, drinking the capitalist Kool-Aid. Like, listen, I have degree in community and social change. I heard all of the negative, like anti-capitalist things. It does not make you a bad person to want more money, right? So repeat after me. It's okay to want more money. It is okay to be able to put your skills to use in the private sector. It is okay to say, hey, you know what? I'm no longer going to be working 60 hours a week for $50,000 a year where I can't even pay rent for an apartment by myself. I have to have a roommate. No, enough of that. All right. Like I am tired of financial advice for women being got a budget, 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 or marry rich. Um, no, you can and should transition into a higher paying job because you have the skills every single Every single job that exists in the public sector and that exists in the nonprofit, or even as an educator, every single job that exists in nonprofit and education and public sector exists in the private sector. Okay. Um, yes. So someone is sharing as first gen, we are always pushed and persuaded to do nonprofit. Yes. All right. Because think about it. how many of you have heard, I just want to give back to my community. Let me know if you've said it. I've said it like I 100% have said that so many times and I used to I used to wear that as like a badge of honor. Like I used to say, "Oh, why do I have to care about my community? Like I wish I could be just one of those people that only worried about the money." And it's like, "Why why did I believe that lie? Why are we fed this lie?" Yep, I see some people, yep, very very much um, that was me thinking that the only way that I could give back to my community was, you know, like in a nonprofit world or being a teacher and being an educator. And don't get me wrong. I'm an educator at heart. I will always, always be an educator, but I don't work in the education industry anymore. All right. We can always. Yes. Thank you so much. We can always give back to our communities with our new money. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It is amazing that you can like you can and if you are someone who is kind and generous you will continue to be kind and generous once you're making six figures all right it's not that all of a sudden you're going to wake up and be greedy like money isn't the root of all evil money actually just amplifies what's already there so if your desire is to help your community you will be able to help your community with your new money all right let's see um during internships, I was always recommended to start in a nonprofit by white leadership. Yeah, I am so sorry to, to hear that. And that is not even like you're not even alone. So many of us, again, are fed this lie of if you go into the private sector, you're a sellout. Or if you um, negotiate, you're greedy. Or, yeah, or again, yeah, like drinking the capitalist Kool-Aid. I'd heard that one a lot. Um, but guess what? For better or for worse, we live in a society that is capitalistic and where having access to family sustaining wages can actually drastically improve, improve your quality of life. Um, I read, it was like a BuzzFeed article or something on like celebrities who grew up poor. And I think it was Kelly Clarkson who said, we lived pre-paycheck to pre-paycheck. So it was like payday loans, I believe. I don't know. She just said pre-paycheck. And she said, people say that money doesn't buy happiness. And she says, it's never poor people who say that. It's always rich people who say that. And I was like, huh, I thought that was very interesting. Um, you know, so 
like I was like, wow, thank you for for saying that. You know, like money definitely just amplifies what is already there. So again, if you are someone who is kind and generous and if you're someone who wants to give back to your community, guess what? A lot of jobs in the private sector have like volunteer days or volunteer time off or the opportunity to make a matching donation or a matching contribution. Like think about all of the positive impact that you could have if you had access to this. And guess what? It's not even just about the money, because first of all, even if it's just about the money, that's okay. But if you want a truly fulfilling career, you can have a fulfilling career in the private sector. You can have a fulfilling career where you show up and you are looking out for the best interests of people in your community, where you show up and you are um, actively doing the things that bring you joy. You can use your skills that you already have and be paid better for it. All right. I promise you. So if you are not aware, my um, six-figure accelerator is open right now. It is my signature group coaching program. It is 10 weeks. It is 10 intensive weeks of weekly coaching where I give you the skills that you need. Well, you already have the skills. So I give you the tools um, to help you use your skills to fast track your career to six figures. Um, just like Esther shared before, it would have taken you six years to make 80K in the nonprofit sector. I come from higher ed. Like I used to think that making like $110,000 a year was like the ultimate paycheck. I was like, oh my God, maybe one day when I'm like a 10 year professor, I can make 110K a year and I'll know that I'll have made it. I'll be like professora and like Professor Santa Maria and oh my, and that will be like the epitome of like making it. It really isn't. Like, at least not for me. I definitely do not need to be glued to grants and chasing grants in order to <laughs> be making six figures. Oh my God, just, just hearing that sounds so exhausting. You already have a six-figure skill set. If you're a former educator, if you're someone who is a nonprofit professional, you already have a six-figure skill set. It's about tapping into it. All right, so definitely just go to the firstgencoach.com slash six figures or go to the link on my bio to learn more because I would love to help you get to six figures because you deserve it. You deserve it. All right. You are someone who, oh, sorry. You're someone who is making already such an impact in your career in like in your community. You're someone who, um, is making such an impact on your team. You know, I've had multiple women of color, multiple friends of mine who told me, you know, once I quit my job, they had to hire three people to replace me. Three people, three people. Like I can't even tell you how enraging that is, that this burden of doing three persons, the job of three different people was placed on women of color. And that happens over and over and over again. All right. And this like, and, and again, it's like this, it's almost exploitative. Like I actually think that a lot of nonprofit work can be really exploitative of its both like its community, like the community that it serves and the employees, because it exploits this desire that we as like as nonprofit professionals have to serve our community. Or honestly, like I'm no longer a nonprofit professional. Um, but as a, woman of color as a first generation professional as a first gen latina like that desire to help my community is there and i feel like a lot of nonprofit organizations exploit that 
because it's like, oh, you used to go from serving 500 people a year. Now you serve a thousand people a year and you haven't hired any extra staff. So the work has doubled, but your staff hasn't doubled. I mean, does that sound familiar? Is that something that you've ever experienced where, you know, like the, the scope of the work just keeps expanding and expanding. And then, I mean, to, there's really no other way to frame it other than exploitative. Like your desire to help people can sometimes be exploited in the nonprofit world and the public sector job as a social worker. And that is shameful. And guess what? There's a reason why we're pushed into these roles. So I highly encourage you to internalize the belief that you deserve a six-figure career. Internalize the belief that you already have a six-figure skill set. Please. Um, all right. So Tracy is sharing that she works in public mental health and there's so much demand since COVID began. Yes. Thank you so much sharing that. Um, and then Esther, as a teacher, it would have been 14 years before you got to 100K. Oh yeah. As a professor. Oh my God. I can't even remember that. I actually, there's been documentaries of like college professors who are on food stamps because of how little they make because of like the adjunct. Um, I saw this tweet that just really cut deep. It said, um, did it hurt when you realize that the public health agency, no, the mental health agency that you work for didn't care about your mental health. And I was like, oof, I didn't work for a month, like a mental health agency, but I worked for an agency that provided services to people, you know, like to people in the community. And when I realized that like their wages of their employees would mean that they qualify for those services. Yeah, that definitely hurt. I was just like, wait, we're not actually fixing anything. Wait, what? So, so definitely like the nonprofit sector is completely broken. And I used to preach that, you know, like it was up to us to change it. And you know what? It's honestly not like, you don't have to take that responsibility upon yourself. No more heroes. All right. No more savior complex. People are not helpless. People are resourceful and it is not up to you to carry the weight of this incredibly broken system. It is not up to you to kill yourself for a job. It is not up to you to give everything that you have and more for this low paying public sector job or really for any job. No job is worth your health. No worth, no job is worth your mental health. And you can start setting those boundaries and you can start tapping into your six figure skill set right now. All right. So again, if you take anything away from this conversation tonight, take away two things. One is internalize the belief that, um, it is okay to want more money and internalize belief that it is okay to go into the private sector. Uh, one more thing is like, sorry, the clown emoji totally just made me laugh. The belief that going into teaching was I'm going to help change the system. Yes. And I, me too. All right. Like I would, let me, okay. I'm going to raise my hand again because I did think that I'm going to change the system. I'm going to no, And um, you know what? It's no longer my responsibility. People are not helpless. I, I know that I keep on saying that, but I very much hadn't had this terrible, like internalized, like savior mentality. Like, oh my God, if I don't show up and kill myself for my community, then like they're, you know, like everything's going to crumble. Like, 
I am honestly not that important. And the world is going to keep spinning whether or not I'm like killing myself, running myself ragged. All right. I'm not, I, I personally cannot change a system that sense needs to be dismantled and it is not your responsibility. It is okay. If you want to transition into the private sector, it doesn't make you a sellout. It doesn't make you anything bad. It just makes you someone who has done their part and is, is done and is ready to look out for themselves, to look out for, for your family, and to do what is best for you. You can have a fulfilling career that pays you six figures. You can tap into your six-figure skill set. So once again, go to thefirstgencoach.com slash six figures. So just go to the link on my bio, or even just, you know, DM me, because I want to help you get there. Like, I am tired, tired of seeing women of color be surrounded, first of all, by mediocre white male leadership. All right. Like it is just like I've seen it again in so many different organizations personally and with my clients and with my friends where there's this like mediocre leader and this like revolving door. Sorry, I can't. Yeah, like this revolving door of highly talented, highly skilled women of color that are driven away from that organization. My favorite graphic. I didn't write it in my notes, but it's up here in my head. It is the Coco Collective, the quote unquote problem women of color in a nonprofit organization. All right. I talk about that all the time. So before I talk about it, um, Idalia is saying, I was recently told that I can let them win with leaving my toxic workplace. I know the kids need support, but I dread going to work. I'm so sorry to hear that, Idalia. And yeah, that is another one. Don't let them win. When I shared in my, my story about leaving Mormonism, and how I, you know, like a few years later, like basically when I was leaving Mormonism because I was being stalked, like that was the kind of thing that I heard too, like, oh, don't let him win. And I'm like, I don't care about him. I need to do what is best for me, you know? And same thing when I found myself in a workplace where it wasn't paying me and it was like, leave. It's, and, it, and it felt very triggering because it was once again basically being told to leave. But guess what? Leaving a toxic workplace is not letting somebody else win. Leaving a toxic workplace is putting yourself first. Um, and that's actually what ends up happening. So the problem woman of color um, infographic, which I reference all the time because more people need to know that this is a structural system. It is not you. It is a systemic problem. The problem women of color in the workplace details the sort of like life cycle of a woman shows up into this organization and everybody is like, oh my gosh, she has such amazing ideas. Let's listen to her. She's going to make a change, going to change the system, you know? And so that happens, right? And so she enters and then it's the honeymoon phase and everybody's like, oh my God, like, let's listen to her. Let's try to make, you know, like, let, let's, let's listen to her because she's so smart. She's so brilliant, but then nothing happens. All right. And, and it's like, well, if, if you have a problem, why don't you go ahead and fix it? Stop bringing us problems, only bring us solutions. And so that apathy and like an indifference actually turns into resistance and resentment. And so all these bright ideas that she had, that she was hailed for and that she was hired for are now actually a problem. And so she becomes the problem. And then she often faces retaliation in the workplace. And that retaliation may be blatant, or it may be like subtle, like you're doing a lot of the less glamorous assignments, you know, or like you're the one working every weekend, every night and weekend, or even like you're being passed over for a promotion. 
And that retaliation tends to lead to burnout. And then the woman of color exits the workplace. And that is what happens. I mean, it's happened to me. It's happened to many of my friends. It's happened so many times that there's a framework for it. All right. So you're going to change the system. It is on, like, yeah, I'm just, I'm sorry. That clown emoji is just perfect because <laughs> I thought I was going to change the system too. All of us who have ever found ourselves in that situation probably thought that we were going to change the system. If here's the thing, um, a toxic workplace is going to change you much more than you are going to change that toxic workplace. Okay. So please understand that it is okay to leave. It's not letting them win. It's not any of all these like fake things that are making you trying to make you feel bad for putting yourself first. You have the right to put yourself first and you have the right to a fulfilling, high paying career. All right. Let me say that again. You have the right to put yourself first and you have a right to a fulfilling, high paying career. So if you're currently listening to the sound of my voice and wondering what is your six figure skill set, what can you do? How can you transfer your skills from the nonprofit world into the private sector? Please send me a DM. Please go to the link on my bio, make some time for us to talk because I would love to help you fast track your career to six figures. Um, you can also go to thefirstgencoach.com slash six figures. The program is open for this week. So it is um, open for two more days until September 23rd. So that's on Friday. Don't wait until Friday because it is a, a small group program. And so it is a 10 week career coaching program. We meet every week for 10 weeks, 90 minutes every week, help you discover your six figure skill set. I help you get your resume to the top of the pile. I help you optimize your resume and LinkedIn for a, for a private sector or, you know, like tech job. I help you see how you can make meaningful connections because this is what I have been doing. I have been pouring my heart and soul into this program, but it's not even about me. It's not about me at all. It's about you. It's about the difference that you can make. It's about how you can show up for your family, how you can show up for yourself, the actual difference that you can make in the community. If you were free from this, like living paycheck to paycheck, and if you had access to a high paying career and you deserve a high paying, fulfilling career. So that is all for tonight. I look forward to hearing from you. I look forward to seeing you inside of the Six Figure Accelerator. And if you like what you heard, whether you're hearing on the live or you're hearing the podcast, please go ahead and, you know, uh, share it with your friends and tag me. I'd love to know. I, I really do want to know what is going on and how I can help you reach your career goals. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Before we wrap up today, I want to remind you to download your free resume template and guide. This resume template is designed to help first-gen professionals like you showcase your strengths, your leadership experience, and tell a powerful story. So if you are ready to make bold career moves, download your free resume template and guide at thefirstgencoach.com resume.